0: Occasionally, I found myself in situations that I could only describe as a Holy Spirit hijacking. (laughs) You ever had that happen? You know, you're at the controls, you've set your course, you think, you know, you know where you're going, a certain direction, and, and the Holy Spirit swoops in and takes over the controls and takes you in a whole nother direction. You ever had that happen? And uh, I had that happen this week with this message, as a matter of fact. Tuesday night, I'm writing out drafts for this message, and I'm crumpling up papers, and that's not working. And finally, I realized I'm being hijacked by the Holy Spirit. And where I'm at in my life is, one of the ways I'm changing is that I'm learning that once I know it's the Holy Spirit, once I know it's the Holy Spirit, I'm just going to go with it and leave the results and the outcome to the Lord. So I hope you're open to a Holy Spirit hijacking today. You know, August is a month where, I view August as a month where I get to talk to the church about the church. And so the message today is primarily directed towards those of us who call New Life our home church. Now that doesn't mean if you're a guest today that you should get up and walk out right now. Um, Welcome to you and please listen in. God's got something for you as well, but just know I'm talking to New lifers today. On my study break, I visited several different churches, and uh, one of them here in Columbus had a guest speaker in named Francis Chan. You ever heard of him? He's a great brother, and uh, I've got to hear him a number of times. He's always been very challenging. And uh, he spoke that day. His message was primarily to Christians, and I was there listening to his sermon, and he asked a question that was kind of disturbing, and, and the question was this. Where is the power? Where is the power? He said, if Christians are to be a reflection to the world of their God, then where is the power? If the world looks at us and sees our lives, are they saying, whoa, (laughs) that person serves a powerful God? And I've just let that question rattle around in my mind some. And honestly, the sermon kind of bothered me. And this message today might bother you a little bit. And I'm okay with that. But I want you to ponder that question. Where is the power? Where is the power in your life, in my life, in our life collectively? Is the world getting an accurate picture of our God from our lives? Because as John says in 1 John, in this world, we are like him. Okay, so I'm pondering that question, where is the power? And then along, right about that time, our church-wide Bible reading plan that I'm on shifted into the book of Acts. And I don't know if you're following that plan, but I am. And I started reading in the book of Acts. I've read Acts many times. But this time, because of that question, where is the power, I started reading it with a different set of lenses on. And I started looking at that first church, the church in Jerusalem that... Got some traction and got started right after Jesus left. And I started reading through the first few chapters of Acts, looking deeper into the life of that first church. And what I see in that first church and I'm still seeing as I'm still reading through Acts is nothing less than a supernatural community. And the more I read, the more I want to be a part of something like that. I want to be a part of a supernatural community where things are happening that can't be explained by human wisdom, strength, power, ingenuity, or intelligence. A supernatural community. Reading through Acts, I've been intrigued, I've been fascinated, I've been convicted, I've been humbled by what I see in that church. If you have your Bible with you this morning, turn to the book of Acts, would you? And all of us, take the study guide out of your bulletin. I've... Put some scriptures, a lot of scriptures down today. I had several pages full and I had to condense it to get it all on your outline. I'd like you to follow with me through some of the scriptures that describe what was going on in that supernatural community. It starts out with Jesus talking to his disciples who would be the leaders of that first church in Jerusalem. In Acts one eighty, he says this, but you will receive power... When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. After Jesus left, ascended into the clouds in Acts 1 verse 12, it says, well, then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying and they all joined together constantly in prayer. Would you note that? This first church joining together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So Jesus' brothers, half-brothers, who apparently had come to faith by then. Not long after that, we find this scenario unfolding in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This wild stuff going on. And so this crowd starts to hear this and starts to gather, and people are amazed by what they're seeing and hearing. Some are confused. So Peter seizes the opportunity and stands up and explains what's happening, and then he preaches the gospel. The gospel. Remember that? We talked about that last weekend. He preaches the gospel and challenges people to repent of their sin and turn to Christ. In Acts 2.40, it says, "...with many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, "'Save yourselves from this corrupt generation.'" Verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So that was the birthday of the church in Jerusalem, 3,000 people. Wow. And this describes their life together. They devoted themselves, verse 42, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Sounds like a supernatural community to me. In Acts chapter 3, it's recorded the story of Peter and John miraculously healing this crippled beggar who was sitting by the side of the road. And you might recall reading about this. Uh, You know, he's sitting there and he looks up at them and he's hoping that they'll give him some money. And Peter looks at him and says, well, silver or gold have I none, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And the guy does it. (laughs) He rises up and walks. And it says he's walking and leaping and dancing and praising God. And that creates quite a stir and quite a commotion. And they're on their way to the place of worship and a crowd is forming again because they see this guy. And again, Peter seizes the opportunity and he stands up and he preaches the gospel and he calls people to repentance. And then the authorities get involved. They're not wild about what's going on, and Peter keeps talking about Jesus, whom you crucified, and and they're saying, hey, you're trying to charge us with this man's blood. You're trying to put his blood on our hands. And he said, well, you killed him. And the authorities don't like what's going on. They put the guys in jail. They basically give them a gag order. Stop it. Stop preaching and teaching in that name, the name of Jesus. Jesus. And, uh, of course, Peter and John say, you know, judge for yourselves whether it's better for us to obey you or God. And says they didn't know what to do to punish them, so they released them. And then Acts 4.23 says this, upon their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, that's the church, and they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Verse 24, when they heard this, this is the church now, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said. You made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Verse 29, Now, Lord, consider these threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness and stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, it says, the place where they were meeting was shaken. God showed up. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, the gospel, and much grace was upon them all. Wow, cool stuff going on. Then, chapter 5. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. See, what was happening in that church is the the wealthy, the affluent among them, were selling off assets and taking the proceeds, bringing them to the apostles and saying, take this money and give it to those among us who are needy. So these guys, this couple did that, Ananias and Sapphira. Verse 2, But with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. Apparently, he'd made a big show, you know, I'm going to sell this land and bring all the money and lay it at the apostles' feet. He kept back part of it. But he brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money that you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. I guess so. Again in verse 11. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Verse 16. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Acts 9. The church in Jerusalem was growing and multiplying and expanding to adjacent regions, and it says this in verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. One of those churches was in a city called Antioch. And the church there was gathering in Acts 13, 2. And it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now I've poured over these accounts again and again and again and over and over and over and I keep seeing the same things mentioned. Do you? I keep seeing the same things bubbling to the surface in the life of this first church. I keep seeing these aspects of life in a supernatural community, like constant prayer. It's hard to miss that this church was constantly on its knees praying. In chapter 1, when they needed to choose a replacement for Judas... Remember, Judas met his own fate, left a hole. When they went to replace him, it says they came together and prayed and asked for God's direction and discernment as to who should fill that role on the team of apostles. In chapter 2, as we read, it says they were devoted to prayer, committed to prayer. In chapter 4, when Peter and John reported back what had happened at their hearing, it says they, they all raised their voices together in prayer to God. And God answered. He showed up. You might recall reading in chapter 12 where James, the, the senior pastor of that church, had been killed. The persecution had broken out against the church. James was executed. Peter was taken to prison. And it says the church was praying together in a house for them. Remember that story? And they're praying and praying and Peter, who had been miraculously released, shows up knocking on the door and the girl comes to the door and she says, you know, we can't let you in, we're praying for you. (laughs) Wait, you're supposed to be in prison, what are you doing here? Constantly praying, constantly praying. Up at that church in Antioch, they were fasting, it says, and praying when Barnabas and Saul were called to team up and head out into a mission trip. Prayer. Prayer, praying, prayer. They prayed, constantly praying. I, I read through this and I began to see a link between this church's prayer life and the miraculous, mind-bending things that were going on there. Maybe they took seriously Jesus' words when he said, I want my house to be a house of prayer. Constant prayer. Another aspect of life in that supernatural community was the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know some people would be more comfortable if this wasn't in here. But regardless of that, it is. (laughs) Big time in the book of Acts. You've got the Holy Spirit coming on people, pouring out on people, empowering people, filling people, encouraging people. You see Jesus right at the outset promising the Holy Spirit's going to come and empower you to be my bold witnesses, he said. We didn't read this section in chapter 2, but... There you see Peter telling a large crowd that in the end times, the Holy Spirit would pour himself out on men and women and and there would be dreams and visions and prophecies. Wild stuff going on. You see it recorded in chapter 5 that Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit, offending him so severely that they were taken out for that. And somehow it says the Holy Spirit speaks into a gathering of believers at Antioch calling out Saul and Barnabas. Man, the Spirit of God was alive and active and involved, speaking and empowering and emboldening people. And this young fledgling church rejoiced in the ministry of the Holy Spirit among them. So I keep seeing these things. Prayer, 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 the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Then the third thing I see is awesome miracles and healings. It starts out with some really bizarre stuff, like the sound of a mighty rushing wind, like a, hearing a tornado outside the room, loud. And then tongues of fire appearing over people and people breaking out and speaking foreign languages that they'd never been to school to learn, just kind of supernaturally received this gift from God. you got wonders and miraculous signs being done by the apostles in chapter 2 causing everyone to be in awe of God you got healings you got miraculous healings in chapter 3 it's a crippled beggar who is miraculously healed that's what set off the whole rage of antagonism and persecution against the church of Jesus in chapter 3 verse 16 you got people telling you got Peter telling the Jews it's by faith in the name of Jesus that this man whom you see this Cripple who's now healed. This man you see and know is made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him as you can see. In chapter 4, you've got the whole church calling out to God, saying, God, stretch out your hand and heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders. Chapter 5 and following tells us that God answered those prayers, performing many healings and miracles through his apostles and his disciples. Listen, in that first supernatural community, power was radiating out from that community to the point where people were bringing their sick and their infirmed and laying them in the streets in hopes that Peter's shadow would be cast across them as he walked by. Power was flowing through that church. And people were in awe. Along with that, something else was present. The fear of God. The fear of God. I'll tell you what. If you were involved in a new church plant and everything was going great guns and people were signing up like mad to become disciples of Jesus Christ and there was spiritual energy in the place and everything was going great guns and then all of a sudden two of your comrades, whom you loved, for an infraction that seemed kind of light, get taken out? it would put the fear of God in you, wouldn't it? You'd start to realize, oh my, God is holy. He wants his people to live a holy life. It says, after that, great fear seized the whole church. And beginning in Acts 5, you see that phrase and similar phrases appearing in the life of this church, living in the fear of God. You start to realize that God doesn't want his holy name besmirched by two-faced followers who say one thing and do another, or who are more concerned about their own reputation than Jesus' reputation in the community. I'll tell you, that young church learned to love God deeply, but they also learned to fear God deeply, and to take seriously his hatred for sin. And then the final mark of a, a supernatural community that I want to mention is their boldness. Man, this is a bold church. The strong courage to proclaim the gospel that was found not just in the leaders but the members of that church. When the authorities started clamping down on them because things were getting out of control, these Christ followers prayed that the Holy Spirit would empower them more. More to be even bolder in sharing the message of Jesus Christ. There was no backing off. They went everywhere, it says, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. They were totally convinced that Jesus was indeed risen from the dead, that he was alive, the Holy Spirit was emboldening them, that they were on the side of the truth, and the truth would prevail. It wasn't long before the authorities were complaining, you guys have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. they threatened the disciples repeatedly not to speak anymore in Jesus' name. But not only did the apostles boldly proclaim the resurrection of Jesus, the people went everywhere proclaiming the good news. We can't help speak what we've seen and heard. That was truly a supernatural community. The likes of which perhaps hasn't been seen since sadly and i'm not totally sure why <laughs> same god jesus is still alive the gospel is still the power of god and the salvation for those who believe holy Spirit's still alive and active but like francis chan i'm starting to ask myself and god where is the power these days where is the power of god so that a watching world might know that our God is mighty. Where are the miracles and healings? Where is the bold witnessing? Where are these things that people cause people to stand back and go, whoa, their God must be mighty. Even at a church like New Life, which is a wonderful body of believers that I'm honored to be a part of, I... I honestly feel a bit sheepish when I lay our church alongside that church. And I see the contrast. And I want to be part of that. I have an ache and a longing to be part of a supernatural community. So I ask, where is the power? And I I get a little analytical sometimes, so I start asking myself. When I read through Acts, I started asking myself some questions, you know? Why don't we see that kind of power today? Is it is it because we have dispensationalized this all away? Have we put God in a box? Have some of us, because of our training and, and the way we were taught, do we, we just say, well, God just doesn't do that anymore? Have we taken our theological grid that's drained? of all the supernatural and laid it over the book of Acts and said, well, that was an apostolic era and this isn't, so we shouldn't expect God to do any supernatural things today. Is it a, is it a theological problem that causes us not to be open? And I say, well, maybe, maybe that's not it. Maybe it's because we really don't fear God that much anymore. That he doesn't really take us that seriously either. I pray, Lord, if you need to take somebody out here to make a statement, to strike a good, healthy fear into the hearts of our people, I think Pastor Brian would be a great candidate for that. <laughs> or Jay or Darcy. Or I probably shouldn't joke about that. You know, sometimes when we think about God, we, we take we say, well, It's in the Old Testament where they learned to fear God. In in the New Testament, it's all about the love of God. No. (laughs) The fear of God is in the New Testament. They were all seized with fear, it says. Our God is a consuming fire, it says. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, Paul wrote. This church was seized with the fear of God. Jesus called his followers not to fear Satan, but to fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. New Testament. Matthew 10, 28. Do we fear God enough to hate the sin that caused him to nail his own son to the cross? Oh, I know we hate it when we see it in others, but do we hate it when we see it in here? So I think, well, maybe that's the reason we're not seeing supernatural stuff, because maybe we just don't fear God very much anymore. Or, is it because we want to keep our distance from the Holy Spirit because He scares us? That's one thing to fear God, which is a healthy thing. It's quite another thing to be so afraid of the Holy Spirit that we don't want to talk about Him, we don't want to mention His name, we certainly don't want to seek Him, we don't want Him to speak to us. To be frightened by Him, We don't open ourselves up to being filled by Him. Did you know that that Ephesians 5.18 says, Be filled with the Spirit. It's like a command, a linear command. Open yourself up to the Holy Spirit that He might fill you up completely. Every nook, every cranny of your life, every dark closet. Let the Holy Spirit fill you so that you're drained of self and flesh so that you're living your life not by your power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Is that why? Are we so frightened of the Holy Spirit that we're missing out on life in a supernatural community? Or is it really just because we just don't pray that much? I mean, what would God say about this church, New Life Church? Would he say about us that New Life is a praying church? Could it be said of us that we are joining together constantly in prayer? I wonder. You know what? I've come to believe that all of these things are linked. They're interlocking. The fear of God, the ministry of the Holy Spirit... Healings and miracles, boldness in witnessing, and constant prayer. I think they're linked. I think that a community that that has all those things going on is going to experience a spiritual combustion in the crackle of electricity that is powerful. Now, four of those five things are not things that we do, they're things that God does. But there is one, there is our part, and it's prayer. Where is the power? Where is the prayer? This is not the only measurement, but you know there's 168 hours in a week, and we have a 24-7 prayer room where we're asking our people to just devote one hour to prayer every week. And so far we have 30 hours covered. You might say, well, that's good. And I say, what about the other 138 hours, I and mean, didn't Jesus one time say, could you not tarry with me for one hour? It seems to me that more of us should be taking advantage of that opportunity. Prayer. I'm just asking the question, okay? Where is the power? I'm not supplying a lot of answers. I know that's frustrating to some of you who come to church to hear a sermon for answers. Where is the power in your life so that the people you work with and in your neighborhood and who know you and they observe this quality in your life, this supernatural quality in your life to the point where they step back and go, whoa, that person's connected to something that I'm not connected to and it's winsome. Man, I want that. Where is the power? I think right now in our church, we see a a trickle of voltage coming through from God, but certainly not enough to light up a city. A few few weeks ago, there was this powerful thunderstorm that rolled through here. Two or three weeks ago, remember this? Middle of the night, about three in the morning, there was a crashing loud thunderclap. It sounded like it hit right outside my bedroom window, totally without warning. I'm sure I leaped off the bed six inches. It was loud. My heart started pounding. It didn't stop pounding for two hours. Blew everything out in our house. Our phones, electricity, TV, VCR, computers, boom, fried. I remember thinking, man, that's... God, that's some pretty serious power. Thunderbolt like that. But I'm telling you, it's nothing compared to the spiritual voltage generated in a community of Christ followers that fears God, constantly in prayer, open to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, boldly witnessing for Him. Praying always. I want us to look one last time at the prayer of this early church that's recorded in Acts 4. I think it's going to come up on the screens where it says that it's when Peter and John came back and reported what had happened. It says, this church raised their voices together in prayer to God. Now, maybe you hear that. Well, how does God sort through? Everybody's praying at the same time out loud? Yeah. Is that really biblical? Yeah. Can God sort? Yes. Realize God's hearing millions of prayers ascending up to him every day. He sorts through all of them. He, he, he hears all of them. He's God. He can do this. And here's what they prayed once again. Sovereign Lord. Were they ordering God around like he was some sort of servant boy? You know, there's a strain of teaching these days that says God's given us so much authority that we can pretty much order him around and tell him what to do. I'm like, no. That, that's upside down. Sovereign Lord, you are the Lord, you're the master, we're your servants. Okay? And you are the maker of heaven and earth, right? And then here's what they said. Consider their threats and grant or enable your servants to have what? Boldness to speak the word of God. Enable your servants to have boldness to speak the word of God. And then they said, and oh God, stretch out your hand and heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Two requests. Enable your servants to speak the word of God with boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So I said, Lord, I'll go with it. Where do you, how do you want me to, to end it? And I believe the Spirit said there's two requests that the church at New Life needs to start praying. Enable us to speak the word of God with boldness. And, oh God, stretch out your hand and do awesome things. Amen. So who needs more boldness today? Anybody need more boldness to share the message of Jesus Christ? Anybody? You know how you feel intimidated sometimes? You're in that situation, you're in that setting, a word for Jesus needs to be spoken and you just feel oppressed or beaten down or intimidated. You know how that is, right? Or an opportunity comes and you miss it. You're distracted by, you know, or, and, and you're silent. These guys in this supernatural community were bold. And then when, when they started getting clamped down on, they said, God, give us more boldness. So if you're here today and you need more boldness in your witness for Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to come and stand up over here on my right. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to start praying out loud together, like they did, okay? We're not into mimicking other churches, you know, that we see and hear about, but maybe this one we will, the church in Acts. See, I just, I need more boldness to share, to witness. I don't want to be intimidated anymore. I want to be silent when a word for Jesus needs to be spoken. And maybe you can join in a big circle up here. And last service, it was like a huge circle. (laughs) Or a shape that I don't even know what to call it. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And that's the circle I'm going to join in a minute. And I just... If you would, join hands. Anybody else? I need more boldness. Now, there's a second group that I'm going to ask to come over here. And listen to me now. This is those of you who need God to stretch out His hand and do something miraculous in your life, in your family, in your body. Last night, we had a couple of people with cancer came up here. And I know there's some of you in situations that the, the truth of the matter is if God doesn't come through for you, you're through financially, relationally, in your family, in your body, physically. And God's calling us to just start praying for one another. God, stretch out your hand. You're the same. God, stretch out your hand. Would you come over here on this side, those of you who, you just need God in that way. Right over here and just Circle up over here. You guys might have to come over and make some room if you could scooch over this way a little bit. Thank you. You know, I'll grant you this this church that we read about was under persecution, weren't they? They were being threatened, their lives were being threatened. And as a result, their prayers got a little bit desperate. It wasn't, now I lay me down to sleep anymore. It wasn't, you know, a -a mealtime, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, let's eat. It was their lives. I'll grant you that that was the case in this church. I'll also grant you that it's not the case in the United States these days, is it? Yet. But it's coming. God will purify his church through persecution. And in that day, we'll find out how real we really are. These are folks who feel the need for more boldness in witnessing for Christ. These are folks who need a miracle from God, a healing, a powerful intervention of God, right? I'm going to ask everyone to do what it says in Acts 4.23, to raise your voices together aloud to God and pray. never done that before, it may sound strange to you. It's okay. You'll get used to it. God can sort through all those prayers. I think he wants to hear the hum or the low roar of his people calling out to him right now. Even those of you sitting out in the seats, would you raise your voices to God and just say, God, enable your servants to speak with boldness. Do it. Lift it up to God. And over here, here's the prayer. Stretch out your hand, God. Stretch out your hand to heal For miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I just believe we should ask. We don't command God. We don't order him around. We don't, you know, presuppose what he'll do. I just believe it's okay to ask and to ask fervently in the name of Jesus, filled with faith. Church, all of us, raise your voices together in prayer to God. that You might hear our prayers today.